0: Hello, my name is Jason Reichel and you're listening to Risk Management Brick by Brick. I'm fascinated with people who are helping build and maintain the physical world around us. On each episode of this podcast, we'll dive in with a risk manager, speak to them about how technology plays a role in this process. Our guest for today's episode of Brick by Brick is Corey Mangum, a risk and insurance manager at Primor Service Corporation. He has over 15 years of experience in the risk management insurance industry Corey has grown his passion for all things risk related and even lectures on the subject to our next generation of risk managers. Let's get to our chat. Hello, Corey. Welcome to Brick by Brick. It's nice to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So, we're going to start the conversation out like I always do, which is tell me a little bit about how you went from starting your career to where you are now. Because when I looked into your background, you've kind of had an interesting set of roles. They have really led you into a unique place to be sort of a guru of risk management. I don't know if you like that word. I'll give it to you though. Okay. So a guru of risk management. Thank you. And I'm just so fascinated about how does that journey work?
1: Yeah, I'll go all the way back to my undergrad. So when I was at the University of North Texas, I was going into school there and I didn't want to get like a finance degree or anything like that. I kind of wanted to pick something a little more that I would have a passion for and I kind of weird... When I grew up, I always had like a fascination with disasters. A lot of disaster movies in the 90s, had like Dante's Peak and stuff like that. Outbreak,
0: yeah. Elijah Wood getting killed by lava and stuff like that, a lot of that. There
1: you go. Yeah. So I just had a fascination for disasters and the University of North Texas had an actual program called Emergency Administration and Planning, which is basically going to work for FEMA, so disaster management. So I went ahead and went through that program and really had like a passion for helping out with disasters, helping people and Decided that I wanted to go into the public sector, so working for like a city government. I did my internship at the city of Fort Worth in the emergency management department. Didn't I felt it was a little too slow moving for me. So I decided to pivot into the insurance industry, so going from public sector to private sector. So I could still have that same kind of impact on society, communities, helping them out through disasters. But in insurance on a much smaller scale. So I went to work for property claims at Safeco Insurance, which was bought by Liberty Mutual Insurance kind of right when I started. So I was in the property claims division for around eight years there. I worked in the National Catastrophe Department where I really got to be involved in those big disasters like a Hurricane Sandy some of the big tornadoes that went to more Oklahoma, Joplin, Missouri, some of those things. And through my studies, I started my master's degree at Boston University. And that's where I started that kind of pivot where I wanted to go from working with natural catastrophes to more human-made disasters. Because for me, when you look at like a natural disaster, it doesn't compare really to a human-made disaster because with a human-made disaster, like let's say the 2008 financial crisis, you have an erosion of social trust. And you don't have that with like a hurricane. Nobody can get mad at and lose trust in a hurricane. You know they're going to come every year. You know what they're going to do. But with our banking system back in 2008, what happened there is society as a whole lost a lot of trust within our banking institution and let's say the overall corporate world. So that's where I started really getting my passion kind of really started shifting into more human made disasters. Why do these occur? Why do humans make these decisions? And how can we kind of help humans make decisions better where we can make Society better overall. So, taking micro actions from a decision-making standpoint, and over time, creating macro change for society. So that's my passion today, and that took me on a road where I went from claims over to risk management. I started as a risk analyst, built my way up to a risk manager at a construction company, Promoris where we are a construction company that deals with infrastructure. I don't like to say that we build infrastructure. I like to say that we build opportunity. So we go out into communities and we are putting fiber telecommunications underground so communities can have Wi-Fi. We're out there building roads so people can get to work. We're now working in renewables. So we're helping our entire country go from those legacy energy sources over to more green sources.
0: Yeah, utilities that produce yeah. opportunity for I love that concept. One of the things that you were mentioning, and I thought it's fascinating, is your passion for disaster, as you were, which honestly, doing this podcast is a passion that a lot of you share in the risk management world. So when I first heard that, it took me back. Now I've heard it 10 times. It's like, okay, next. Uh,
1: (laughs) A unique bunch, I guess you could say, for sure.
0: Yes, the unique bunch. But when you look at the difference between the natural disasters and the ones that are human-made, is human-made disasters, why do they occur From your in all of your ideas? Why do they actually occur? Why do humans choose the path of risk and causing these horrendous events instead of choosing a more risk-free path? What is it about us that that causes that?
1: That's a great question. I think through my studies, I've studied a lot of cognitive psychology. Daniel Kahneman's kind of the the guru when it comes to decision making, how it impacts how we see risk, how we make decisions. But it's a complex question because it really comes down to the human level. In my company, obviously, we have senior leadership, we have a C-suite, we have a board of directors. Each one of those individuals has those past experiences they they rely on to make decisions, but they also have maybe some cognitive biases as well in how they see the world around them. And I think that's what really impacts decision-making. And when you, in like, let's say 2008, the financial crisis, when you have individuals that are that high up in organizations that have that much power, and they make, they do have... Bias decision making or their decision making processes are not very sound, then that's when you can have those kind of catastrophic incidents that occur. And that's what was really fascinating to me is it's just those small little decisions. It can be just that one decision you make that one day, and it could be a decision that's made in three seconds that could have just a tremendous impact on not only your organization but your communities and sometimes even the entire country, as we saw in some of these incidents like two thousand eight.
0: If we take that into account and Risk management is a function that happens in companies. How does risk management work both for the company and for the greater good? How do you manage that? And how do you have to approach the work? Because I've had risk managers on the show that say, without any risk, there wouldn't be any business. You have to accept that there's going to be some risk, right? Exactly. I've had risk managers that say, I look at this as like, what I'm trying to do is get to the outcome, but prevent as many errors as possible along the way that would do harm. But we never got into, and fascinating that you brought this up, we've never gotten to the moral argument around risk management, protecting communities, protecting industry, like this trust angle that you brought up. Because I think trust is a big thing here. If building collapses because of risk management in a particular place, that place is going to be less likely to do those kind of projects in the future, even at the community level. So how is a risk manager when you're working in the field, as an example of working with a company, how do you manage that you work for the company, but your job is sort of to protect the company from itself and from its environmental factors?
1: Yeah, another great question. And we kind of do that here through our enterprise risk management program that we have. So we have a enterprise risk management committee that meets on a quarterly basis. And what we do is we go through certain exercises, like we just completed a risk identification survey. So we use a risk management information system to go ahead and push out surveys that for this survey, we looked at three different criteria. So we were looking at what are internal risks that we have within the company that we can eliminate or avoid? What are some external risks that exist outside the company we have no control over but have a direct impact on our ability to meet objectives? And then also the third question, which I thought was really, really important, is strategic risk. What risks are inherent in our business that we have to take but could expose us to not meeting our objectives. Let's say, for instance, uh, we're in construction, so obviously we're project by project, so we have to go out to project sites, and sometimes we're out in hazardous working conditions, whether it be 120-degree weather out in Arizona, or maybe it's negative 20, 30 degrees up in Minnesota. So looking at that as an organization, how do we create what I like to call tolerable Uncertainty. So we know there's an uncertain world out there when we're on these projects. But how do we have the controls in place, the plan, the preparation, to go ahead and ensure that we can go out there, we can take a risk, but we can also take it intelligently, and we can go out there and achieve our objectives but also ensure that any deviations from expected outcomes are addressed and try. we try to eliminate those, avoid those, or we mitigate those to ensure that they're within the appetite that we're comfortable with and that our board of directors is comfortable with as well.
0: How do you, In one thing you do is you kind of speak to and teach this risk management. I don't know exactly what you would call what you're doing when you go out and speak on the topic, but how do you communicate upwards in your organization successfully as a risk manager. There's all sorts of risk managers that have different degree and different pedigree. The companies require different risk managers based on the risk that the companies are taking. But how do you communicate that in a way that is considered a valuable asset to the organization versus a hindrance? What are some of your tips and suggestions around how to communicate risk?
1: Yeah, that's another great question. And it really comes down to me because I've worked at an organization before where the risk management department was kind of seen as the department of no or the risk cops. Oh, stay away from, don't bring that to risk management's attention because all they're going to do is tell you what's wrong with this new project or new initiative or anything like that. So what I really try to do is come at it at a, with an open lens. And let's say a business leader comes to me and says, hey, Corey, we want to chase this strategy. What do you think? And I don't come in there and say, oh, we need to stop because this is just a little bit too risky. We want to encourage risk-taking here. We want to encourage intelligent risk-taking. So if I can take that project hey, let's sit down and look at, okay, what are the risks out there? Okay, we know those are out there. Let's make those transparent and then let's find out what we can do to control those or at least have plans and prepare for if something does go wrong. And then when we do that, what we're trying to do is maximize the value that we can get out of, whether it be a new strategy, a new initiative, maybe it's going out there and acquiring a new business. We're able to, in my lens, is always to make sure that you're not focusing on the bad, but always focusing on the good. You're always focusing on the opportunity, the successes. And even the failures, point out your failures and how we can get better as a business and not always focusing on, oh, this is the risks that are kind of out there that we need to deal with the bad. What I like to do is from my organization and my department is to always be chasing value. How is my department increasing shareholder value. That is our ultimate focus because as a risk management department, I'm sure you've heard this before, we're kind of seen as a cost center. We go out there, we we procure insurance or we have risk control programs and safety initiatives, all the stuff that costs money. But what we're trying to do through enterprise risk management is through helping encourage that intelligent risk taking, we're actually trying to increase shareholder value, which I like to call, we're taking... Enterprise risk management from Field Street here in Dallas, Texas, where our headquarters is, all the way to Wall Street. We want our enterprise risk management, how we deal with risk here, to actually increase our stock price and increase value for our shareholders. I think that's
0: so valuable for a multitude of reasons. I think the strategy of being seen as a value center is something I really believe in in any function within an organization, which is how do not only do we add value, but how do we strategically position ourselves to get somewhere faster? And with less risk, the reason that we do something risky is because we want the outcome that that has. And I think so often risk management is looked at as the risk police or the people who are saying no or slowing down progress versus actually pointing the company in the direction of progress that's obtainable to that company. So I think that's a really smart analysis. One question I have for you is what are some of the trends in the industry that you think are happening under the surface? that you think other organizations are sleeping on?
1: I think one big one, I think, is the power of of data and how it can be used, especially in construction industry. Construction industry is coming along, but I feel like they've lagged a little bit in that kind of adoption of data and, and kind of finding the power within it. And we're really trying to kind of roll that out here because it's so powerful, whether it's safety data, on incidents or whether it's data on your employees in your, the culture of your organization. The surveys we send out for enterprises manager the data we get back there, it's really understanding what data is important, what's valuable to the organization, what data can actually create positive change for the organization, and then finding a way to turn that data into knowledge and then from knowledge into action. I think that's where we as an industry can get a lot better, especially in the world we're in currently, where we're seeing tremendous labor market risk, supply chain risk, economic volatility, the risk we're seeing there. I think there's so much data that's trapped into all of these external risks that companies can pull out and use to, whether it's to build controls or build plans or prepare for a risk on the horizon. I think we can go a long way In finding the data mining it out and then polishing it and then actually turning it from knowledge into action
0: what are some of those key data findings that you are trying to get or position yourself to understand better like where do you see in that segment that cross segment you gave where would you tell someone to point first look at your employee data look at where would you start in that journey for an organization that is has all the data we talk all the time on technology podcasts. Data is everywhere now. We've captured it. We just don't have any idea of what to do with it. So what are some of the questions that you've asked that you found surprising answers to?
1: Well, I think some of the questions, and I focus on more the support functions of the organization because I work up in corporate and we support the, our operations down below. So, and one thing that was really interesting for me going around asking questions about data was how many different systems are housing data The real question is, how do we get all these systems either talk to each other, or how are we able to efficiently pull out data that talks to each other, whether it be across different systems, in order for us to pull valuable information or insights or trends that we can go ahead and use in real time to go ahead and maybe go out and tackle a problem, or we can use to go maybe chase a new opportunity that we find through some of that data.
0: How would you, if you go to a college, as an example, and you're speaking to students there how would you convince them to go into risk management? Because one of the biggest risks to risk management that I've seen doing this podcast is the future talent pool of risk management and the passion there. Because again, there's not a lot of light being shown on how cool and interesting this job is. It's part data science, part behavioral science, part like rolling up your sleeves and getting dirty, especially if you're doing risk management and construction or something like that. So how do you get new talent to come in. What's the sales pitch?
1: I think in the insurance industry, we're having the same exact issues with the talent crisis there and a lot of the talent's retiring. And I work at Columbia University and I work for uh, Director Teresa Chan, who's an amazing insurance professional. And we've had this discussion many times. about it. and it's, We talk about changing the narrative because like we just talked about earlier, risk management seen as the risk cops and, oh, they only deal with the bad stuff and, and all that. For me, it's you have an opportunity to come in and add value in a space that has a legacy kind of reputation of being that call center. So you can actually give an opportunity to go in and actually change an organization for the better through risk management. You can take risk management. I can be a risk manager right now in construction, but I can offer you the same exact tools, experiences, skills, and I can jump over to an IT company. Or if I have a passion for, let's say, the coffee industry, I can take my exact skills that I'm learning here today in construction, and I can go over and do that. So I think it's really, really a great industry because it has so much flexibility in where you can work, who you can work for, even though it is kind of seen as a niche within business, finance, or or insurance.
0: Yeah. One thing I've been passionate about in my career is a topic called revenue operations, which is a very similar field, which is the people who actually connect everything in a revenue team. So the people behind the scenes working in the technologies, they're doing the data analysis, they're telling teams like, this is where you're successful and this is where you're not. And over time, because I do lectures and do things around for that, I've seen that they've become more of a center point opportunity center for these organizations where these people used to be called admins or kind of more derogatory terms for cost centers to the business. And now they're looked at as truly unique value differentiators. And I always tell people, if you go in and understand how businesses business is run, you can take that to this industry or that industry because you understand how revenue is made. And Yeah, there's nuances in every particular industry you go into, but also the core functions are the same. And I've seen that there's been a tremendous boon in talent because of that, right, to go into these operational roles. I think it's really important for us to highlight how exciting a time it is to be in an operational role in companies right now because of technology, What's something that you're hoping that technology does for you and your team in the next year to two years? What big technology initiatives are you guys working on?
1: Well, i will say one of the biggest ones we're working on right now from an enterprise risk management standpoint is establishing risk metrics or coming up with key risk indicators to attach to some of our top risks that we have at the company. And just kind of, we want to go through that journey and really see we're collecting that data, seeing if we're getting value out of that data when we report it up to C-suite, senior leadership, in the board of directors, but also how do we also use technology as it advances to help us with that trending over time? Is it how do we embrace artificial intelligence or some new features from our risk management information system to really see how that can be used as a tool as we continue uh, to push out that program within our, our overall enterprise risk management process?
0: What's one piece of advice that someone's given to you in your career Verbatim, or related in a story that you tell other people, or that you feel like is an important part of the journey for people.
1: I think an important, I would say, for myself, and I've kind of learned this, just through my own kind of research and stuff like that. I think a lot of us, I'm a risk manager, obviously, so taking risk is obviously some, a big deal for me. But I've really embraced failure, not fatal failures. Obviously, you don't want to do anything where you get yourself fired or hurt yourself, or anything like that. But really accepting failure as a learning experience. I'm about to have a, a meeting next week with our Enterprise Risk Management Committee. And one of the things I'm going to touch on is we're going to discuss the prior year. And I'm going to go through some of the failures on my end as the chair of this committee. Where are my opportunities to get better? And I think if you go through that failure exercise, it can make you so much better as an employee or any aspect of your life, whether it's being a father, being a son, or anything like that. And then how do I continue to kind of use that process going forward? Because when I start going through that failure evaluation of myself and how I can be better, it motivates me to be better. It's making me a better employee. It's making me a better father.
0: It makes you self-aware of the failures versus using the wins to justify the cracked eggs in the carton, so to speak.
1: Exactly. And Gary Vee calls it self-audit. Sometimes you, just, it's like where you sit at the end of your bed in total pitch black You just kind of have that conversation with yourself. Well, what am I doing wrong and all that stuff? It's the same thing that I do in work and life. And it's really, really helped me take my career, I would say, to a new level just by having that, that self-awareness. Amazing. Thank you so much for
0: joining me, Corey. I really appreciate you and the time that you've taken. I look forward to seeing you at a conference and getting a drink and and talking more about the psychological... Yeah, hopefully, yeah. yeah. Disadvantages and advantages of risk. And I really appreciate you. So thank you for joining me.
1: No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Risk Management Brick by Brick is brought to you by TrustLayer. Find out how TrustLayer manages risk so that the people can build the physical world around us, head over to trustlayer.io. And then make sure to subscribe to Risk Management Brick by Brick on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the TrustLayer team, thank you for listening.